time. Time is running out. Calling all patriots and lovers of our constitutionally protected, God-given, self-evident, inalienable rights in Tennessee and the United States of America. If you are sickened by the liberty-eroding activities of a government that hates you, then it is time to wake up. If you are fed up with the tyrannical leadership on display by all levels of government, now is the time to listen to your reveille call. If you are equally tired of the political class, the new aristocracy, lying to you in their pursuit of power and control, now is the time to take a stand in the arena. Please welcome your host, Larry Linton, U.S. Navy veteran and candidate for Tennessee House of Representatives to the Liberty Leadership and Lies podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's episode of the Liberty Leadership and Lies podcast. Coming to you once again from the Goat Locker studio and the Larry for TN12 campaign headquarters right here in Sevierville. It's been a busy few days since last week's episode. Some more door-to-door campaigning has been done, and the responses from the vast majority of the voters has been wonderful. Also, a disturbing bit of news. It seems that somebody removed or stole one of the yard signs a good friend of mine had placed on their property. I do not know the motive behind the sign's removal, but most of us know that the silencing of political opposition is a favored tactic by one side of the political spectrum, right? As soon as the new signs come in this week, I will be getting this friend a replacement. I had a resident of District 12 reach out to me this past week as well through email, and he asked me some great questions. I would also like to share them with the audience in case many of the voters here have those same questions. The first question he asked was if I believe in literal or virtual representation or a balance between the two political theories. I realize that most people will be unfamiliar with those terms and I will not bore you with the definitions. My answer should provide some clarity though between the two theories. I believe in literal representation, as that is the design of our constitutional republic. For an example of virtual representation, think of the quote-unquote at-large elected representatives, not tied to a particular set of people or a defined region within a larger region. If there is not a defined set of people or region, how can there be any actual servant leadership? I believe there can't be any. So that is why I believe in literal representation. That also provides a higher level of accountability for the elected official. The elected official and the people have a clear picture of the employer-employee relationship. This potential voter also pointed out a recent mailer that was sent out by a political action committee, or PAC, that was in support of my opponent. The PAC is a group that advocates for term limits, and they are supporting a candidate that is seeking his sixth term in statewide elected office. And before that, he was elected to serve as an alderman of the city of Sevierville. This mailer turns out to be the height of hypocrisy in my, as well as this voter's, opinion. You see, as I mentioned, my opponent is seeking his sixth term in the General Assembly here in Tennessee. 
He was first elected to statewide office in 2012. I do realize that the PAC is seeking term limits for congressional office holders, meaning the U.S. House and U.S. Senate, but if you are advocating for one level of government, you should be advocating for all levels of government. As we have already discussed on this program, the incumbency rate for elected officials at the local, state, and federal levels has created a ruling elite in our country, a new aristocracy. So the PAC and my opponent are being hypocritical for supporting term limits through legislation for some, but not all, elected officials. Especially since that would apply to my opponent. I, too, am a supporter of term limits. However, there is already a mechanism in place to ensure term limits for politicians. That mechanism is elections. They are held every two, four, or six years. Asking for legislation or a law to make this happen is just another way the people, where all governmental power is inherent in the first place, we are abdicating our role to master and control the government we elect. That's just another great example of the apathy of the electorate. Advocating for a law to place term limits on elected officials is like saying, hey government, I'm too lazy or uninterested in participating in my own self-governance, so you go ahead and do this for me. Govern me harder, baby. Just what makes you think that the government will ever impose restrictions on itself? Restrictions on its own power and influence. That is how our constitutional republic is designed, so that we place the power and the restrictions on government. All of these people talk a big game when it comes to term limits, but how many of them do you see self-impose those same term limits on themselves? Very, very few. Then this voter asked some other background questions. A few that stand out are this. How familiar am I with local politics? What caused me to consider seeking public office? How accessible, open, and transparent would I be if I were to be elected? Would I do town hall meetings? Will I be debating my opponent? Well, let's take those questions one at a time. The first, how familiar am I with local politics? I'm not too familiar with local politics, meaning the local players, but I am sure that the local politics here in Sevier County is the same as elsewhere around the country. It is often a good old boy network, if you will. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Nepotism and incumbent protection, both of which are enabled by the apathy of the electorate, which is a bigger obstacle than anything my opponent can throw at me. The next question, what caused me to consider seeking elected office? Longtime listeners and followers of my website know the answer to this question. I will condense it down to this. I decided to run for office when I saw that government was not performing its primary function, securing the liberty of its citizens. Instead, government was trampling down on the people's liberty. We have become a government that is no longer of, for, and by the people. The government we have right now is controlled by the political parties, each of them devising ways to rob us of our sweat equity and our liberty in order to keep them in power. 
As for the question about accessible, open, and transparent, as well as doing town hall meetings, again, this can be tied right back to apathy. Accessibility, openness, and transparency are the hallmark of a government that is performing its primary function of securing the people's liberty. The apathy of the electorate has led to the people not demanding this of their elected officials. For me, I will continue to do this podcast once elected so that I can spread the word about what is actually happening in Nashville. I will not allow my fellow elected officials hide behind voice votes in committee and subcommittee. I will let the people know exactly how individuals in the General Assembly voted on liberty-protecting as well as liberty-eroding legislation. I realize that doing this will not make me many friends in political circles, as well as it invites attacks against me. Realize this, though. When I am being attacked for demanding accountability for elected officials and enhancing transparency from government, they are not just attacking me. They are attacking our representative form of government, where all power is inherent in the people. Transparency in Nashville will put an end to the current state of business-as-usual political situations. All elected officials need to be reminded of who exactly they work for. It isn't PACs. It isn't corporations. It is the people. Look, folks, I'm a retired United States Navy Command Master Chief. I learned long ago to not bring any feelings to work. I did that once, and the feeling got stepped on, so I no longer operate that way. My candidacy is about following an oath to the Constitution and restoring the principles of self-governance in our constitutional republic. That means a restoration of the relationship between the states and the federal government, where the states are the federal government's sovereign, and the citizens are the sovereign of the individual state governments. It's as simple as that. If I'm attacked for that, it is because the people or groups attacking me do not want the citizens to reclaim their sovereignty over government. They want to keep that for themselves. It is also about returning servant leadership to elected office, where the elected official is humble enough to know their role as the people's servant not the PAC's servant or the corporation's servant or the political party's servant, but the people's servant. It is also about making sure each elected official is hungry for a restoration of our nation's foundational principles by strict adherence to the limitations placed on government by the state and federal constitutions. Additionally, I will commit to conducting frequent town halls in person, not virtual, and right here in the district. You see, I realize that if the voters elect me to this position of what I know to be special trust, my time isn't just my own. I understand the employer-employee relationship. It is the duty of every elected official to have a consistent and open dialogue with their constituents, their employers. So speaking of leadership being humble and hungry, as I mentioned in the weekend update, I wrapped up last week with the men's ministry of my church. It was a wonderful time of fellowship and worship that really served to re-energize me in so many different ways. 
spiritually, of course, but also mentally and physically as well. The nearly 300 men in attendance participated in many different events over the course of two days, but what I enjoyed the most was the small group breakouts we did. I heard some key words while participating in discussions with my small group that I had been hearing and reading about in the weeks leading up to the retreat. That would be considered uncanny or a coincidence by people of no faith. Well, at least no faith in God Almighty. I see it as providence, though. Or being still enough to hear the voice of my Creator, a God that loves me more than I can ever love myself or be loved by people in this temporary life. We'll discuss some of those words or phrases and how they relate to leadership, more specifically servant leadership. Here are the words and phrases that I've been hearing or reading for the past few weeks leading up to the men's retreat, during the retreat, and the small group discussions, followed by the message my pastor preached this past Sunday. Then I came across these words and phrases again Sunday evening and Monday morning while talking with my wife as well as at the twice-monthly breakfast with the men's ministry this past Tuesday morning. Here we go. Humble and humility. I believe that in order to be successful in any endeavor, one must be humble. Whether it be a pastor leading his congregation or somebody seeking or serving in elected office. Without humility, the position becomes what is important. Not the service or servant leadership the person needs to possess and live out. When I mention hungry, it is not the food kind of hungry, but the spiritual and the servant leadership kind of hunger. Lacking that hunger, the hunger to serve your fellow man, a person can develop a hunger for things like power and control that will never satisfy them. No amount of power and control will fill that hole in people's souls. Childlike faith, that's another word that I've been hearing a lot lately. I believe that having a childlike faith, not only in my faith walk with God, but with my fellow Americans in the work that we are doing to restore our constitutional republic, I believe that is necessary and proper. If you remember from this past weekend's update, we discussed encouraged and discouraged. Encouraged people encourage other people. Discouraged people discourage other people. Encouragement and discouragement is contagious. Is it any wonder why our government, which hates us by the way, is it any wonder why the government, their allies in the media and entertainment industry and big tech, constantly try to pit each of us against each other? They want discouragement to spread all over the place like a virus. Why would they do that though? That's that why question. Well, it provides them with the opportunity to come in and save the day with little bits of encouragement to a targeted, specific group. Keeping these little groups of people, groups that are defined by the government, defined by media or entertainment industries, defined by big tech, keeping these individual groups focused on each other instead of what they are doing. If you are old enough to remember, there were not that many separate groups of aggrieved people in our nation, and that was just a short generation ago. This is all by design, ladies and gentlemen, designed by leadership that is not humble and hungry for service to their fellow man, just hungry for their personal power and personal control. 
Routine and discipline are a few more words that have been running around in my life and mind lately. Leadership that is focused on discouragement will try to break our routine and try to break our discipline so that they can maintain control. Look at how successful they have been with the people's participation in our own self-governance. Oversight of our government has to be a routine maintained by people to ensure that the government stays within its constitutionally defined confines. That takes a lot of discipline, and discipline is needed to build a routine, to make a decision and stick with it. The word doubt has crept into my mind as well, doubting my decisions and doubting my actions, doubting my purpose, doubting the decision that I made to put myself and my family especially my wife that supports all of my career decisions 100% since the day we were married, but that doubt can be crippling sometimes. Then I think about these two questions that every citizen should be asking themselves as our country is devolving before our very eyes. If not me, then who? If not now, then when? I have said this before and will say it again. There's nobody coming to our rescue. And if we delay too long, it will be too late. We must all make the decision to take a stand in the arena if we can keep this republic, as Benjamin Franklin warned us. The phrase questioning attitude has returned to this new endeavor I am in right now as well. It was a regular part of my military and my consulting career. You must have a questioning attitude of your surroundings to keep yourself and the others working with you safe. Walking into any work-related situation, having the questioning attitude that thinks about what is the worst possible thing that could happen and what is the most likely thing that will happen will keep an individual and their teams safe. The citizens in our republic need to have this questioning attitude as it relates to the actions of government. They must ask questions like, why is this bill being introduced? Or why did this bill get killed in subcommittee? Why are they raising taxes? Why is this individual running for office? Much as the individual who sent me an email asking why I decided to run for office. Each of us needs to truly investigate people who are in elected office or seeking elected office. What is their motivation? Do their actions match up with their words? I can almost guarantee that their walk no longer matches their talk after being in elected office for a long period of time. Why is that? Well, it's because the citizens, you and I, do not have a questioning attitude towards our government any longer. Well, some do, but not nearly enough to alter or correct their behavior once in office. Motivations often change once elected and because of money. I promise that I will do my best, if elected, to stay humble and hungry to serve the people of this district. But that is, or needs to be, a two-way street. Each of us needs an accountability partner in life. There needs to be a person in our life that will hold us accountable for our words and our actions. Sometimes that could be a spouse. Let me tell you, 
I found the perfect accountability partner in my wife. Sometimes it's a close friend. Sometimes it's a member of your church or at work. But when elected to office, the accountability partner becomes all of the people that elected you, all of the people that you're supposed to represent, the people that placed you into a position of special trust. Do you see how that is missing right now in our state and in our nation? Here in Tennessee, we have elected officials that promise to govern based upon Republican Party principles as well as constitutional principles. Since their accountability partners, us, have not held them accountable, we have what we have right now. You know who or what else is supposed to be an accountability partner for elected officials? Yes, a free and fair press. Are they doing their jobs in that aspect any longer? Look at the individual holding the highest elected office in our republic right now to find that answer. It is sickening to see their fawning over the obvious mental decline of that man, as well as how they are covering for him and his family's influence peddling scheme that goes back decades, all of it paid for by the taxpayers in our republic. Ladies and gentlemen, we all need to develop the routine and the discipline to ensure we have a questioning attitude with our government. We need to encourage each other to take a stand in the arena in the defense of liberty and our constitutional principles. We also need to not allow the actions or inactions of our current elected officials to discourage us. The same goes for their willing allies in the media, entertainment, and big tech industries. We cannot allow them to discourage us from participating in our system of self-governance any longer because it only furthers their goals, and erodes our liberty. We need to approach everything these people do with doubt and a questioning attitude, while at the same time no longer allow them to sow the seeds of doubt into our activities as well as doubt among each other. With that, this week's wisdom from God's Word comes to us from Proverbs 18.12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Being haughty means they are disdainfully proud or scornfully arrogant. Elected officials throughout the state and the nation are no longer behaving or leading as servant leaders. The incumbency rate in our state and in our nation has erased their humility. They are no longer humble servant leaders. That has led to their hearts becoming haughty Their haughtiness has changed their hunger for service to hunger for power, money, and control. The new aristocracy has destroyed many people's childlike faith in our constitutional republic and many of its institutions. This same ruling class of elites are encouraged by the apathy that keeps them in office. There are examples of that all over our televisions, computers, and cell phones every day. Take the recent scramble by elected officials here in Tennessee to put their name to a piece of paper decrying the heinous acts of barbarism that Vanderbilt University Medical Center was performing on children. So on the 28th of September, a little more than a week ago, 56 legislators in the Tennessee General Assembly jointly signed and sent a letter to Vanderbilt University Medical Center stating the following, My colleagues and I, 
While the original letter was drafted by Representative Jason Zachary of the 14th Legislative District, which is just a few miles away to the northwest of District 12 here in Sevier County. Anyway, the letter continues. My colleagues and I in the General Assembly are alarmed by recent reports detailing the surgical mutilations of minor children at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And on and on the letter went, detailing information that was publicly available for quite some time now, by the way, by a journalist in reporting just prior to the General Assembly drafting that letter. Of particular interest to me and many others is the following statement in that letter. Tennesseans across our state had demanded a swift response and call to action. We agree that these revelations require the legislature to act immediately. Well, act immediately? Really? The information that Vanderbilt has been abusing children with surgical mutilations, as well as drugging with medication used to chemically castrate child sex offenders, that information has been in the public square for years now. Act immediately is only because more people are aware of these atrocities. As a matter of fact, the Iron Lady of the Tennessee Senate, Senator Janice Bowling, proposed legislation that would have prohibited this euphemistically called gender-affirming care from being performed on minor children a while ago. What happened to that piece of legislation? Of course, it was killed or tabled in committee because of the moneyed interest behind this abuse of children. The trans clinic at Vanderbilt was opened in 2018, and one of the doctors that was instrumental in its opening stated that it is a big moneymaker. Because these mutilations of minors require lifelong follow-up appointments. Why didn't the General Assembly act immediately in 2018? Because there, not all of them, mind you, but a majority of their hearts have become haughty. They have no honor because they lost their sense of humility. They are no longer humble servant leaders for the citizens they are supposed to represent. They are not humble, but they are hungry. Hungry for money. Hungry for power. And yes, my opponent put his signature to that document as well. Each of those 56 legislators knew, or should have known, that Vanderbilt was surgically and chemically mutilating children for years now. They are only acting now because the rest of Tennessee is aware of the evil being performed for the love of money. This type of behavior or a lack of action by elected officials to protect children from evil needs to end, and I will need your help to end it. Government schools are no longer responsive to the parents' desires. They are failing to educate the children of this state and this nation by every measure, despite demanding and receiving more and more of our sweat equity with empty promises to do better. These institutions' definition of Better is the complete opposite of what the parents and taxpayers demand. Also, the enabling and encouraging of a mental illness that has turned hospitals into child mutilation profiteers is disgusting. Only by each of us throwing off the apathy that has gripped this nation for generations now can we put a stop to this madness. This begins at the state level. I am humbly asking you to send me to Nashville because I am hungry to restore a government whose core function 
is to secure the liberty of the people, not bow down to the woke mob or sell your liberty to the highest bidder or political action committee and the political parties they have already bought off. The work of putting our government back in control of the people begins right here at the state level. From there, the states can put the federal government back into its constitutionally designed role. I will need your help. I humbly ask for your vote. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. Reveille, it's time to wake up.